Hello, hello. Hello. Great to see you. I wish we could just go on like this forever, but we can't. We've, we have things that we need to attend to tonight, Bible classes. I want to share some updates with sick folks, things you probably didn't know about happened since Sunday. And then there are some events that are coming up that we want to put some special emphasis on. Okay, so first of all, Marilyn, how's Pat doing? She's still sick with COVID and having some pretty severe symptoms from that. So remember Pat Cooper, along with several others, I've, I've heard a lot of folks dealing with COVID right now. So uh, just take precautions and um, take care of yourself. So Brian Rowland, he had surgery for some blockages in his legs. The doctor was just astounded how well that surgery went and it has restored circulation in his legs and his feet and the prognosis is very good. He's returned home and anxious to be back at work. So very, very thankful. And you know, Brian believes that this outcome is directly due to your prayers on his behalf. And that's how I feel about it too. So thank you for praying for Brian. Lawan Aust, again, uh, if you're going to fall and injure yourself, she had pretty good result. I mean, she did injure herself. She did crack a bone, but it's this little part here that doesn't mess with the mechanism of her legs. So she's going to recover from that just fine. She's in rehab for a few days and hoping to get back home. She's, she's got suits to deal with. Uh, Brenda Dawson had surgery on her hand on Tuesday. Larry Morgan had surgery today in Memphis and likely going to stay overnight, and we pray he'll have a full recovery. Uh, Joyce Morris had a stroke the other day, and she called me, <laughs> and she's doing, doing fine, uh, don't seem to have any long-term deficits associated with it. Doctors, of course, going to have to make some help her make some changes with her diet and so forth, but very thankful that it wasn't any worse than it was. She ended up, because the hospitals were full, she ended up in Florence, but was hoping to go home today. And I haven't heard if she made it yet or not, but we're thankful for that outcome. Uh, Sue Mason is going to be having knee replacement surgery on Monday. Monique Brown, who is a friend of Missy Barnett's, was just recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Billy Martin's friend, Christy Nash, is dealing with a debilitating disease. The prognosis is not very good. And Norma Hemwell, whom we've, we've been praying for for a long time for various conditions. Uh, this is Joan and Martha's sister. She's very sick again, and we're praying that she will have a full recovery from that. I know there are a lot of other sick folks, but these are the most recent updates that I have. Okay, so uh, we announced that we're uh, in consideration of two men for uh, addition to our eldership, Aaron Foster and uh, Todd Sweeney. If, if you have something you'd like to say about them and you wanna put your name to it, it'll be real official, you know. Uh, there's a box back there. If you, have, if you have a scriptural reason why you don't think they should be elders, then please put that down and be ready to defend it. <laughs> no, don't mean that to be ominous, but, but certainly uh, we want to be uh, real serious about these selections. They have gotten some input and all of this has been really good. Appreciate that too. You know, it don't have to be bad. You have something good to say, share that too. We have a girls' day that's coming. I don't know if anybody else does a girls' day. Maybe there are, I just don't know. But we're having one on Saturday. And our ladies, especially the girls who've worked on this, are very excited about uh, the event. Uh, we encourage all the ladies to come and participate in this and look for, look for a good turnout. Okay, so Kiri made a suggestion and I think it's a terrific one. You know, they can come in here beforehand and pick up all of the things that are on the pews, like blankets, 
and pillows and other things that are laying around. I know they're your personal items. You need them in order to be comfortable in your worship. Got it. However, we don't want all that stuff left around when we have all these visitors. So they're going to pick that stuff up. Hey, if you like your stuff on Sunday, might be a good idea for you to just go ahead and pick that up and carry it with you and then bring it back on Sunday. And, and here's, here's the reason why. You know, Kiri and the other ladies, that, that'll be fine. They'll just go ahead and pick that stuff up. But guess what? When they put it back, they're not going to remember where your stuff was. And you'll be like, where's my pillow? Where is my worship pillow? You know, the one that's got the hole in it, the holy pillow. So if you want your stuff to end up back where it belongs, then please pick that up tonight. Carry it with you and just bring it back on Sunday. Looking for a good turnout. Um, we have another addition to our family. Unfortunately, she's not feeling well tonight, but Anita's mother, Ruth Staley, is placing membership with our congregation. We're, we're very thankful for that on just a lot of different levels. We have a new church directory that's being put together. If you want to be included in that, then please fill out and turn in the family information sheet and you can submit your photo or contact Larry Morgan if you would like to have a new one made. And, and I've said this, I think this is now going to be kind of standard application. If you don't, you don't give us a picture, then we're going to put a donkey or any assortment of other kind of animals maybe. So please, you know, turn in, a, turn in a picture and let's get this thing wrapped up as soon as possible so that it's still relevant, right? We don't want it out of date when we, when we actually publish it. So please get that information to us. Okay, there is a list here in the bulletin. It's called the card shower section. It's recommendations for all of us. Hey, here are folks that are of interest right now, maybe need encouragement, whatnot, sometimes sick people, sometimes responses that we have, but check that out. And if you have time, just write a little note, drop it in the mail. It's just, it's so encouraging to receive things like that. Okay, for tonight, our devotional will be as follows. Okay, Ken, I guess Anthony didn't make it. So Ken Scott's gonna be leading our singing. He will lead us in one song. And then following that, Guy Gardner is going to come and speak to us. After that, there will be an invitation song if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation. And following that song, then Brother Wayne is going to lead us in a closing prayer. And then Ken will lead one more song after the closing prayer to give our teachers an opportunity to leave the auditorium, go to their Bible classes. So please get a songbook and let's participate in our devotional period. Good evening. We'll take a hymn, mark your hymn books at 907. 907. This will be our song of at its proper time in a few moments. Now take your hymn books and turn to 647. 647. <clears throat>
Good evening, everybody. I want to talk with you guys for a few minutes uh, on unchanging faith. Been talking with the youth on Wednesday nights about the foundations of being a Christian, really the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And what we hammered home last week was an unchanging, unwavering faith that it takes to go from their age to some of yours, your guys' age, on this walk in life to have that unchanging faith. But have y'all noticed that things tend to change if you, you hang around long enough? And some change is good. Some is not so much. You know, I, I, I guarantee you, 100 years ago in North Mississippi, you could have sold those air conditioner units we got to enjoy today for quite a pretty price in Boonville, Mississippi, 100 years ago on a 100-degree day. That's a pretty good change. Uh, but we can probably think of some other things that's happened throughout the years that uh, maybe not so good. But we do know change is inevitable on this earth. I was fortunate enough to get to play basketball for a man named Mike Lewis at Northeast Community College. And every single practice, he ended it with a life lesson. And he said many things that stuck with me, but one that especially stood out, he said, all successful people have one thing in common. And anytime he made a grand statement like that, he'd pause for a while. And I was thinking, what is he going to say next? He said, all successful people have one thing in common. They can adapt to change really well because they know it's coming. And you think about that. People that can roll with the punches in life, pick themselves up when bad things happen, tend to make it. You got to make sure, and some of you will know what I'm talking about, you can't have that Uncle Rico syndrome if you know the popular movie from a few years back. You can't be stuck in 1982. Uh, you gotta, can't relive the glory days. But the good news about being a Christian is we in the body of Christ, we have nothing to complain about. You see, unlike that world of change that we're constantly dealing with, we have a constant, unchanging guide to lean on. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and his word is final. And we have a permanent home in heaven. Our time here is just temporary, and we have to keep that in mind. Last week as we were talking about faith, we looked at that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where you look at the hall of fame of faith, and you look at the list of these great followers of God that their faith just stands out tremendously and we broke them down and the youth had such great uh, comments about these people. I want us to quickly look at, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at an example of faith beginning in chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
What we have to understand about our faith and what our youth need to understand at an early age, our faith comes through faithful obedience. Jesus tells us directly, if you love me, keep my commands. We see a sharp contrast here between Cain and Abel. And if you don't think sin has always been in the world, I had the youth last week go one, two, three, four. That's how many people are on the planet. Three killed four. Two gave in to temptation pretty quickly. We're always dealing with stuff here. We need God. We need faith. Abel's offering was pleasing to God. Cain's was not. Now, I wonder sometimes if my worship, if the way I behave is pleasing to God. And you want to talk about change. Adam and Eve in one afternoon lost both their sons. They had to deal with some stuff pretty quick. And the point I wanted to make to the youth last week as we were talking about this is I wonder if you set Cain's offering right here and Abel's offering over here and you and I were looking at the offerings, could we tell Abel's offering was better than Cain's? I'm going to say we couldn't because I can't see Cain's heart and I can't see Abel's heart. We know Cain made an offering. We know Abel made an offering. One was pleasing and one wasn't. You see, Cain was, might have been able to trick Adam and Eve. I tell kids this all the time at school. You can fool your mama. You can fool your daddy. You can fool your teachers. You can easily fool your grandparents. But there are two people you cannot lie to. You can never lie to God, and you can't lie to yourself, because you're going to carry that weight around. Cain got mad because he got caught not giving his best. And we punish Cain every time we talk about Cain. What, how many times have you not got caught when you didn't give your best? I don't even know the dozens of times on my end that's been. God knows if we're faithful. He knows if we're true. Now, Abel was faithful. It cost him his life. Cain thought he knew better than God, thought he could lie to God and himself. And y'all, I'm telling you, it cost Cain a whole lot more. We've got to make sure that we don't think we know better than God in our own lives. Faithful obedience is required. It's laid out how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. And the thing we have to remember, whether you're 8 or 80, not a single one of us in here can get to heaven on our mama's faith, on our aunt's faith, on our granddaddy's faith. That won't get us here. Fake faith will not get any of us anywhere. Tonight, if you're struggling with your faith, there is no better time and no better place to make it right than right now.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day and its many blessings and for this opportunity and privilege of coming together to hear another portion of your word and to study, but to better understand our Christian walks in life. We thankful, Father, for the lesson we just received from Brother Gardner. And we're also thankful, Father, for our teachers who are both able and willing to teach our classes this evening that we might know and understand better your word. We pray for the sick, Father, and especially those of this number that have been mentioned here this evening, those that are in our, in our sick list. We pray that you know their needs better than we, Father, that if it be your will, they may soon recover from the illness and injuries and return to the normal walks of life. We pray that you go with us now throughout the furthest of this service and throughout the days of our lives, that in the end we might be found faithful to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Say one verse of Jesus loves me as the teachers make their way to the classrooms. One zero one four. <clears throat> Jesus loves me. and study it with y'all. We would begin if anyone, any updates on any of the prayer requests or anything that anyone knows of that we need to pray for in this class. No updates, we'll go ahead and have a prayer now. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this time we have to come together. Lord, we pray that we'll put the worldly stresses and worries and problems of this life aside as we open our hearts and open our minds and look here to study thy word and grow from it. Pray, Lord, that we will glorify you in this. Lord, we pray so much for the sick and the ones that are having diagnosis of cancers and other issues. Lord, we pray for them and their families. Pray for the health care facilities that are caring for them. Lord, we're mindful of the rise in the COVID cases. Lord, we pray, Lord, that this will not be a return. Lord, we pray for the ones that are 
suffering at this time. Lord, we pray to have a speedy recovery. Lord, we pray for the ones in Hawaii and other places suffering devastating loss. Lord, we pray for them. Pray, Lord, for a return of normalcy to them. Lord, we ask thee for forgiveness of where we come short of thy glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, as we pick up from last week, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, got to about verse 9 and 10. Um, kind of recap of where we've been. Uh, we started out uh, the first chapter as he comes, Paul's addressing them. Uh, we come on through, he, he initially starts dealing with problems going on with the church. They had divisions in the church going on. Um, issues as they come along, as they proclaim Christ as crucified, uh, come on through and dealt with divisions of the church and the ministry of the apostles and the apostles, um, you know, what they suffered and went through. Uh, as we get here at church, uh, verses 5, dealing with sexual immorality and other issues going on in the church, and we established that Paul had heard of this, so it was a pretty big problem that was being talked about and it reached all the way back to him, bringing shame on the church and, and issues, so he's dealt with it and many other. As we get here in verse... 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual, immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So as we look here, there's kind of a twofold part here in verse 10. The first statement, he says, not at all meaning those people of this world. The King James Version says, not all together. So as we look at that and look at that meaning, I think the point of it was saying, if we don't have a some association with these people, how can we save them? You know, if we just completely abstain and they're not around, you know, they're not going to hear the word of God. So we have to have contact with them to teach them the truth. The second part of it, if he was meaning not to associate with these people, then you would need to go out of the world. What's he meaning here? Or what's he trying to point out in that statement? They're still, still and the harvest is the world itself. Absolutely. So where we're going to have to interact with folks. Absolutely. In our walks of life, different places, everywhere we go, we carry the gospel with us, we carry the light, and we need to share it. You know, one point I look at, the only way that we can not associate with this type of people is absolutely leaving this world physically because those people will always exist. You know, the conclusion we can gather from that is that these people will always inhabit the earth, and the Scripture says that. You know, there's always going to be good, always going to be bad. The scripture says it's going to let it rain on the just and the unjust. So we're all here living in this physical world we're all here together, and we have a duty to do. Verse 11 here, he says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So we look here, who is he no longer talking about in this verse? Believer. He's no longer talking about the world. Now he's talking about the believers. That's right. That's what you meant there. So he's switched gears here. He's no longer talking about the worldly people. He's referencing Christians and brethren. And the statement at the end says, No, not even to such eat with one. So we look here, and it's, you know, as we look at the world, um, in the way that we should reference to them and Christians, it's completely different. In here, he's also listed some specific sins. And it, we don't necessarily, we look at that and we wonder why specifically those sins. Undoubtedly, these sins were a big deal then, having trouble, as well as we are today. The first one he lists here is sexual immorality. In the King James Version, it's listed as fornicators. Where does this always begin, this sin? In the heart. Not the blood pumping heart, but the heart up here. Starts out in the mind. Many sins do. 
The whole point of it is keeping our minds trained, our conscience, continually desiring the word, keeps our mind trained where it should be. How can we as Christians safeguard against this sin? Being in the presence of the right people. Not being around the wrong area. Keeping in the word. Meditation. Meditation on God's word. The more it fills us, the less we can shield from sins such as this. The second one listed is greed. Greedy. And in the King James, covetous. What scripture instructs us how not to be greedy? Or any scripture that comes to mind. We look at Galatians 5.14. tells us to love our neighbor how? As ourselves. If we did that one thing, that would eliminate a whole lot of trouble, wouldn't it? If every one of us treated each other that way, if everybody in America, if everybody at town did that, that would end a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of sins right there in that one act that's commanded. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Scripture tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we live in a physical world. It takes money, it takes things to provide and do. But the whole thing of it, it's always can be lost. It's never really protected. You know, even money in the bank, we look in the Depression in the 30s. What happened to those people? Everything they had worked and had, many of them lost completely. But they had the wrong treasure in mind. We look at our treasures, where we can store them to keep them safe, and they will deal with being greedy. The next one listed, listed is idolater or idols. What idols did they have to deal with in those days? In some of those towns, they even had an inscription of an idol of the unknown God, any God that had got missed. They had many different idols, objects, inanimate objects. There's a lot of scripture in uh, Proverbs talks about the dumb idols and other things. But today, we have many idols. What's so dangerous for a Christian about idols? They didn't come that's right. You know, we look and we allow something to take place of God. It can never, never end good. They pull us away from God's word. It pulls us away from church and it pulls us away from God. Idols today can be so many things. They can be our phone. can be fishing. You know, so many things. Anything that makes us think about not coming and do what we should do for God can be our idol. Something as simple as TV ball games, so many things, so easy, nothing wrong with the things themselves, but if we put them in the wrong perspective and priority, then it can easily become an idol for us. The next one li listed is reviler, or in the King James, railer. We think about this word, it's not used a lot today. Somebody who talks bad, somebody who raves and others, someone who does things like that. What's a good modern day word that people use a lot today that could, could describe this? And I had never really thought about it. OMG. <laughs> yeah. Another description of it, you know, so many things have small titles that's used quaintly that mean the same thing. We've got to be careful. But a word that come to mind as I was studying this, verbal abuser. You know, we talk about people that rants and raves and does things a lot of this time. An Old Testament context of it is a blasphemer. Um, not exactly the same, but in the same context of it. Our words matter. The tongue is very, very dangerous. And so many sins and so many troubles, so many problems in the church can come from our tongue. 
The next one listed is drunkard. You know, describes a worry in his excess. You know, also along the same lines, many things in our lives, anything abused and overused, food, many other things can fall under this category. The next one is swindler or extortioner. We daily have to safeguard ourselves against fraud. I, don't, I know several times our debit cards have been hacked, things like that. People on the phone trying to call and get you to say yes to things and somehow get into your hard-earned accounts and do stuff. The swindler of their day and our day looks totally different, but the same problem existed. The whole thing of it is us working with our hands to make our living in an honest way. If we look at verse 12 and verse 13, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13. He says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I'd like to hear some thoughts and comments from some of you on these two verses that we've just analyzed and we look at that. Paul's instruction as we look at these specific sins. You know, we look here about judging. The statement was, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It says God is to judge those outside. Who's he talking about there? Outside the church. People of the world. People outside the church. You know, as we look at that, there's kind of the twofold part of it. I'm afraid we as Christians sometimes get overly concerned with the sins of the worldly people, which scripture tells us will always be. And it pulls our focus off our duty to be the light of the world, which is covered in darkness, and sometimes we miss many opportunities. We can love and encourage and correct our brothers and sisters in love by either being unconcerned or talking about them. Sometimes we miss the opportunity or bring great trouble on it. Remember, we all have the ability to build somebody up or tear somebody down by our words. Romans 3.23, what does it tell us? Who is all? Everyone. That don't, that don't leave anybody out of it, does it? Any questions or comments? Chapter 5, any of these points? of This is the point that he's making here. When he gets down to the last, last line there, they have been tolerating sin in the family very terrible sin that was even known throughout the community and probably they were the talk of the town because they were tolerating it. And he said, you know, he's making a point that as a church, we've got to look out for one another. I understand we've got to look out for one another in love, but we can't just sit idly and let corruption permeate the church. Absolutely. Just like the point from last week, talk about the Example of the apple, a oh, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It's the whole point of what Mr. Estes is saying here. The, the point of it still remains, love goes so far, but we're still responsible for keeping the church pure and obeying God and continuing to do his will. The last line he stated there says, Purge the evil person from, from among you. Brother JT had brought up last week a lot of time. We look at that scripture, it was in the authority of who? authority of Christ. We look at it in many things. We don't look necessarily of it, but it's, it's directly there, a command from God. Any other input or comments on chapter 5 before we move on to 6? The, uh, the people outside the church, you know, we, we categorize these sins as big sins and little sins. The people, if you're not a Christian, you're, you're living in sin anyway, I mean, you know. And so... Why would you want to go after them about one of these sins in particular that might think it's a big sin? That's right. What we, what we need to be doing is trying to convert people. That's exactly right. You know, we look and we think about it, and then even a lot of us would think before being Christians, you know, we look and think about more or less of life being easier, harder, than other. As we become a Christian, you know, we're fighting to do good. The devil's kind of after us, after people in the world. He's kind of already got them, so it's not... A battle as much as we have so we look at that and think about the Christian life being easier it's the best way but it's definitely a struggle and we continue on that's why it's so important for us to lean on each other 
reflection on our family. That's right. We're in the family of God. When, when we sin, we're a reflection on the family. Those are both folks or not. That's right. And that's the things we do bring shame and reproach directly on the church or directly linked to it, part of the body. Absolutely good comment. Anyone else? So as we move on here to chapter 6, the first four verses, um, they yet again have another problem that Paul's dealing with. Here the problem is lawsuits among brethren. You know, we think about lawsuits today going on continually. Seems like everywhere we turn, everywhere we do, within our business we're having to take precautions from not being sued, for not having everything we work for taken away from us for a simple accident or other things. It all goes back to honest living, you know, making an honest living, getting the money right away from, from things and working with our hands to provide. So we look here at the first four verses. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? What's going on right here? The point he's making out of what's happening. What are these people doing? Suing brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're taking them to people in an office that's not necessarily even Christians of guided counsel of that, and want them to reconcile their problems. That in itself is saying a lot. You know, as we look at that, us as brothers and sisters, we should be able to go to one another. Even us dealing with people in the world or worldly people should be able to do the same, but especially us as Christians, you know, we should be able to do this. It's kind of a slap in the face to the church of this, this going on. And you can imagine as people's talking about this and going around stating what's going on and seeing this, you can imagine the shame that's bringing up on it. And you can imagine it's drawing people away from it also. Thessalonians 4, 6, brother stated there, that's exactly right, should not defraud your brother. Scripture all over about this, you know, and... Uh, again, if this is brought to the attention of Paul, this has been going on. It's been reported. It's going back. It's wreaking havoc on the church. If two brothers have got a disagreement, you know, they don't need to go outside the church and settle that disagreement. I've heard of people, you know, going before the eldership, and the eldership, you know, reconcile the difference, help them reconcile the difference. I mean, that would be better in the case of then going on out to another, another thing, you know, Problems in the church, you know, dealing with them. The more it's broadcast, the more the other, mother, other goes on, you know, it's the more trouble and it's going to push people away from wanting to be a part of the church. You know, we can't in, in any light, anything that we personally do, make the church look negative in the light of that. It's hindering to the cause of Christ. As we look here in verses 5 through 9, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be there that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defrauded, even your own brothers? He goes on to tell them how shameful it is. In verse 7, and he tells them, just in doing this, you're hoping to win something, but you've already lost. Just in the point of bringing this, you've marred yourself, brought stuff like that. He's pretty fired up. He's pretty upset right here. You know, you look at it, he's talking to them. He's having to almost treat them like children. We look at this, and we look at the righteousness and these things. What was Jesus' statement on the Sermon on the Mount? as he preached it about righteousness. Anyone? 
He says, lest your righteousness exceeds who? That of the scribes and Pharisees. Who was the scribes and Pharisees of that day? They was religious leaders. He's making the point, he's saying, these people who claim and should be up, up in the church, religious leaders and these others, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. So we look at this as righteousness and we look at that to gauge of what Jesus teaches about that. You know, it's a pretty high bar. We know they had issues just as people in the world have issues today. We're imperfect people. We look to strive towards that righteousness. Verse 11, he says, And were such of such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. In the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He brings it home right here, don't he? It ought to bring it home for us too as well. You know, he looks at this point and talks to them. You know, you're talking about this, you're seeing this, these worldly people. He's saying you were just like them. We were just like them. Some of us were just as bad as them. You know, anytime we look and analyze this, we kind of need to do a little self-reflection. Kind of need to do a little self-examination. You know, that's what he's doing to, to them here. He's bringing it, bringing it on down. The King James Version says, I will not be brought under the power of any. As we go here, we look at this. The scripture says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. But I will not be dominated by anything. We look at this, and he's talking to him about fleeing from sin, fleeing from sexual immorality. We look at things that controls us, and we look at this, when it comes to things in our life that the scripture points out, we need to ask two questions about it. Again, the scripture says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Chapter 6, verse 12. We look at this and we look at sin, we need to ask two questions about it. Is it helpful and is it controlling? As we look at that, maybe we need to assess if some of these things in our life pass or fail this test. Sister Kiri in the girls' class has a thing she talks to them. She says, before you say something, you need to sort of assess it. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? So we look at these things, going back to the tongue of these things as we look. Maybe we need to assess it. We look at the Bible talking about seasoning things with salt. Here in Corinth, they were trying to use their Christian life and their Christianity as a liberty to justify their sin. Do we still have that problem today? Absolutely. You know, we look just because we've been washed in the blood, we're serving God, we're doing these things, doesn't give us a license to sin. Absolutely, we're going to sin. We're imperfect. But we have an advocate with the Father. We continue to walk in the light, continue to do these things. We continue to look to serve Him and keep moving forward. Any questions or comments on this passage, reference here made? As he continues on through the scripture dealing with this and making affirmation of these things, if we look at verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Verse 20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. As we look at this and we flip back to chapter 3, verses 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He's sort of bringing this back and reiterating this. He's making that contrast of our body being a physical temple in the way we present ourselves. Verse 20 talks about a price. What was that price that was paid? Love of Christ. 
It's about as expensive price as I could think of. We look at that. What did Christ give up for us? Heaven itself? Fortune? Fame? He rode in on a donkey, didn't he? It wasn't no fancy registered, nothing was it? We look at, Scripture says, The birds have nests, foxes have holes, and the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. Didn't even have an own property of it. He gave up many luxuries in life. We look at the things we experience. We have so much more than Christ ever had. So much more than he ever had here in this life. And all these things in his greatness he gave up for every one of us. Every one of us. We looked at the all before. The all was everyone. Everybody. As we look at this, in all this given for us, how can we glorify God? Obedience. Obedience. First Peter 4.11 tells us, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever. Speaking the word of God as it's written. Serving as the strength God gives us. He gives every one of us talents. He gives us all strengths. He gives us all portions. They may not be the same. They may not look the same. But he gives us all things that we can use to his glory. Every day. We may not think much of what we have. Or what we've been given. We've all been given so much. We've given the health and strength to walk and come here today. We're given the safety of the travels here today. The small things in life we overlook that we're given every day. We need to look and realize and see these and thank God for them daily. That's what brother says. It's all around us. It's in the creation. It's everywhere. Step outside every day you feel it. You know, we complain about the heat. But how long is it going to be we're going to be complaining and wishing we had it back? There's no pleasing us. You know, we'll be happy for a season. You know, Scripture tells us there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. The hope and pleasure in God is going to be eternal. So as we look at that and glorifying Him of all he's given for us, the things he had, we should look at that each day and let it have a light to shine on what we have and be grateful for it. Any questions or comments? As we move on to chapter 7, yet again, comes up bringing up things. Verses 1 through 5, he says, Now concerning matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. As they look here, they're seeing Paul as their spiritual leader. The first statement of this sentence says, about which you wrote. So what does this imply that they've done? been communicating. They've been inquiring. They've been asking. Him as their spiritual leader in a worldly sense, they're looking to him for these things, for these questions. They're seeking out. They're realizing there's problems and going on and they're looking to 
at least they have a conscience of it to realize what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. You know, as we look at that time in comparison to here, the word as they have was limited. You know, they most likely had these letters that was either rolled up, passed around, read at assemblies, studies, other things. Or another thing we look at being grateful for, we've got this entire Bible. We can look back at the beginning. We can look at the creation. We can get a whole 360 view of how things have come. We can look at the mistakes they made, use them and apply them in our lives to learn from it. You know, as they're looking here and they're inquiring of him, they're asking him questions. You know, they're trying to find out if they're wrong of doing these things and others. So they're looking here to look at the things of which they ought or ought not do. All right. We'll stop here at verse 5 for next week. We'll go ahead and close in a prayer as time is almost up. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had. We're so thankful for these facilities we have here. We're so thankful for this controlled temperature environment. So thankful for the small things of life you've given us. We're so thankful for hot water and many other things that we overlook on a daily basis. Lord, we pray as we leave this place, you'll give us safety. Lord, pray as we leave this place, we'll take your word. Take some of these thoughts and the apply them in our life. Maybe they'll brighten our walk. And may, Lord, we can brighten the way for others. Pray, Lord, that they'll see us, see you living in us. Lord, we ask thee forgive us of our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.